beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, hams, rams, clams, you name it. <laughs> She's got rams. She's got ram. No, she said hams, lambs, and rams. She's got really? lambs and rams. Yeah. All right. I don't know if she's freestyling or what, but like she's got like, and I think she said like. She's like, I meant to say yams, by the way. <laughs> but Rand, she's like, we're not eating Rand. All of you are expecting Rams. Look at this grasshopper's pants. Pants. You name it. You name it. Shield monkey brains. All right. Um, you can start us off whenever you'd like, man. All right. <coughs> In five, four, three, two. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to. Are you for real? Um, and with me as always is Grant. Ba weep, grana weep, mini bone. Bravo, dude. <laughs> Bravo. You. I don't remember if I used that one or not before. Um, but uh, check out the Dare to be Stupid video at, at the end of it in Transformers the movie. Uh, you'll get your answers there of where that came from. <laughs> anyway, away from obscure cartoon references from my childhood. And and on to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in hot this week here, Tom. Um, I see that you got some uh, you got some heat waves coming off of you like a like a like an oasis in the desert. Yeah, it's um it's infuriating. No, I I just I've got a rant somewhere, and I figure um this is the only place I can find podcast listeners in my life. So uh, yeah, I just I absolutely hate the new podcast app on the iPhone. I uh, I made the mistake of updating it with the new iOS, and now I cannot organize my podcast for the life of me. And uh, anyway, I just have to vent here. I Dang, first, man. But uh, I, I wonder if anyone else is having this problem or if it's just me. I was like angrily scanning the Internet looking for uh, other people complaining and just to make me feel better as part of a, an angry community. But it just wasn't happening. So well, that's uh, that's OK, man. I mean, I, I, I had, you know, now that you mentioned I had a little bit of a trouble with it myself. Um but, you know, nothing wrong with a little Grant rant from time to time. <laughs> yeah, let's not make it a normal a normal uh, feature here. But uh, also, yeah, I, I had to spend like hours going through my catalogs. I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, so I got like a bunch of old ones there that I mean to listen to whenever I seem to have the time. And uh, they just seem to disappear. I had to like search for them. I, I don't know. It's just so annoying. I just I need counseling about it. But um. I think I got it straightened out now. It seems like it's more like everything else geared towards like selling me new podcasts or something. I don't know. It's annoying. But, um, yeah, I noticed I, I went through the, uh, the browse function. Um, I'm actually going to bring it up right here right now. And, um, oh, wait, hang on. I think my, my wifi might be interrupting, uh, the connection yeah, here. Can you, you go into the library or? Yeah, I'm going to the the browse, and then all of a sudden it just starts making this this noise, and it's like beep 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 beep. It's UFO news. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, I just found this uh, earlier today, actually. I was I was afraid I was going to come in empty-handed, no news. It's not really about UFOs, honestly, but uh, I think you'll uh, you'll agree this is appropriate. I should have sent you this link so you could see it here. Let me uh, let me pop it on over to you real quick. Of course, it'll be in the show notes. And um, but the uh, the mysterious headline caught my eye was a helicopter pilot finds quote unquote strange monolith in a remote part of Utah. I saw that too, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I mean. I don't think it really has anything to do with aliens, illegal or otherwise, or, or interstellar. It just, um, I think it's just some artist that <laughs> was inspired. It's very, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, 2001, yeah. but I mean, I love 2001, probably, probably still one of my favorite movies. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I saw that too, man. That's funny. You, you mentioned that. Um, this is for those of you not from, um, uh, from the United States, uh, Utah is uh, has a lot of wide open spaces. Utah is a very sparsely populated state outside of, uh, you know, Salt Lake City and a couple uh, other fairly large cities. But uh, so finding a, a an obel- sort of an obelisk like or it looks like a rectangular steel shape, and they said it was buried in the rocks, too. like it was deep in the rocks. It wasn't like it was just um, uh, just like right. dropped there and then someone peeled out like tire tracks going like <laughs> nothing like that. It looks like yeah. they actually like spent time to like put it there. So uh, well, let me go over it a little bit here because I, I do think it's interesting, a little bit of interesting pop culture here. But um, so uh, this was this was in The Guardian today, the 23rd of November when we're recording this uh, by Amanda Holpook, Holpuck, Holpooch. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to bet. Uh, I think it's actually pronounced hug and kiss. Amanda hug and kiss. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, just about to say, I'm not trying to make fun of your name here, Amanda, but um, yeah, Amanda Holpuck in, uh, so it says a mysterious monolith has been discovered in a remote part of Utah after being spotted by state employees counting sheep from a helicopter. The structure estimated at between 10 feet and 12 feet high, about three meters appeared to be planted in the ground. It was made from some sort of metal. It shine in sharp contrast to the enormous red rocks which surrounded it. Surrounded it, and it, uh, yeah, there's a really cool picture here of it. it. You know, it looks like it's something sitting there on Mars or something. And um, let's see here. But um, the helicopter pilot Brett Hutchings told local news channel KSL TV, "That's about. That's been about the strangest thing that I've come across out here in all my years of flying." Hutchings was flying for the Utah Department of Public Safety, which was helping wildfire, wildlife re- resource officers count bighorn sheep in the south of the state. One of the biologists is the one who spotted it, and we just happened to fly directly over the top of it, Hutchings said. He was like, whoa, 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 turn around, turn around. And I was like, what? And he's like, there's this thing back there. We got to go look at it. Uh, Hutchings said the object looked man-made and appeared to have been firmly planted in the ground, not dropped from the sky. I'm assuming it's some new wave artist or something or, you know, somebody that was a big 2001 A Space Odyssey fan, Hutchings said. And uh, I just got to interrupt here. I am a big fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey, but I did not plant that. <laughs> and then the uh, the monolith and its setting resembled a famous scene from Stanley Kubrick's 1968 film in which a group of apes encounter a giant slab. After spotting the monolith, the helicopter crew landed to take a closer look. 
Hatching said, we were kind of joking around that if one of us suddenly disappears, then the rest of us make a run for it. But uh, that's about it. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, oh, here we go. Some observers compared the monolith to the plank sculptures by artist John McCracken, who lived in New Mexico and New York until his death in 2011. McCracken's gallerist, David Zweimer, no, David Zwerner, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. So, anyway, yeah, not really a flying object or anything like that, but um, but pretty interesting, I think. <laughs> Just want to share that. Well, I mean, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of likely suspects, and they they think it's a new wave artist. I'm going to go with David Byrne from the Talking Heads. He probably went out there and did it. So. Well, I don't know if it was new wave. I think it was new age. Did I say new wave? You said new wave. <laughs> oh. Um, let me see. <laughs> Is that what it said? This probably isn't very interesting, but uh, either way, new age, new wave. Uh, my money's on David Byrne. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know, man. I might have misheard you. I've mentioned these dumb headphones no no it's, yeah, you're right you're right you're, it probably is david Briggs. yeah i'm assuming it's some new wave artist <laughs> <laughs> um, just letting the days go by out in utah and uh, <laughs> slammed a monolith into the ground anyways we're going off the rails here on are you for real we're in a we're in a silly mood tonight uh but anyway real quick how are you doing how are you doing grant i'm i'm talking to you a while. Um, doing good? I'm still steaming about this iPhone update, but other than that, I'm doing pretty well. Dude, you just got time to simmer down. We we have a lot of we have a responsibility to our listeners to not um, present heated, um, you know, just unfiltered, you know, hate about podcasts. You know, this is a peaceful podcast, so just. Need you, I mean, need you to need you to bring it back down. You're you're going up in the atmosphere now, Grant. Need you to bring it back down. That is one of the problems of uh, I think in modern society of not having like concrete devices or anything. It's just software. So you're using this thing that you rely on and and uh, like every day, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we decided to update that, so you can't use it the way you like to anymore. Say la vie, man. Them's the ropes, but I guess yeah. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? I'm excited right. about this episode because I don't know what it's about. Grant has taken uh, has taken the reins this last uh, last couple weeks and has done what sounds like some pretty dang thorough research on a topic I've yet to to uh, to hear. So I'm gonna be experiencing it just like you guys are. Um, oh. I might have. I mean, there's a chance I might have heard of whatever is happening before, uh, but I don't. I know. doubt it, dude. Oh, I, no, I like kidding. this out of that. Now, this is a pretty famous case, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm sure the listeners know they saw the title here. It's uh, It has to do with Antonio Villas Boas um, or Boas. I'm, I'm going to pretty much call him Boas here. I'm, I don't want to mispronounce things, but this happened in uh, in Brazil. So um, Ooh. there'll Ooh. probably be a lot of mispronunciation of names and whatnot here. But uh well, I don't my my Puerto Gish isn't very good. So Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I have heard of this case in passing, but I cannot claim to have any kind of specific knowledge of it. So uh I'm strapping in guys. I don't I my seatbelt's not working, but I'm just gonna hold on real tight here. 
I don't even speak English so good, you know. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, but you were asking, yeah, how I was doing. I, I think I am doing well because, yeah, I was just inspired to, uh, to start doing some research and reading up on something. I, I guess I'll get into it here. Um, it's going to be kind of a meandri- meandering. <laughs> See, I told you my English isn't good. Uh, meandering episode here kind of wind around the topic. Um, so yeah, today's topic is the abduction of Antonio Villas Boas in Brazil in 1957, which I became interested in while listening to the uh, Strange Arrivals podcast, which is actually all about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. And, uh, you know, we said it before, we'll probably say it again. We'll definitely have to cover Betty and Barney Hill story as it's pretty interesting and basically the, the first famous abduction case in the United States. Um, but if we discuss I, that one, I, you know, I really want to cover all the details as there are a lot of interesting details to it. And uh, the research will be pretty labor intensive, I think. I think we should cover it, too, man, just because I know it's been covered to death. I know that there's been so much research done into it and everything like that. But I want to do our own research on it and I want to give our own uh, impressions about it. So uh, I know a lot more about the Betty and Barney Hill case than I do about the V.S. Boas case. But um Again, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do Betty and Barney Hill. Um, also, do you, should we uh, should we talk about what's going to happen in our next episode real quick? Or is that going to be something that we should not discuss? No, I mean, uh, I think we'll just save stay, that. Okay, yeah. just stay tuned. Stay tuned, dear listeners. Stay we tuned. Yeah, yeah, we got a treat. We're, we're uh, giddy as next, school, school boys here. Yeah, um, in the next uh, – we're, we're going to be uh, – uh, yeah, our next episode is going to be a, a real humdinger. Yeah, maybe the next one. We might be able to squeeze a few more in between there, too. But um, Oh, true. Okay. I'm hoping yeah. to, at least. But uh, anyway, um, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it might Sorry, sorry. I, I, as you can tell, I'm I'm champing at the bit. So. Yeah, yeah. Definitely excited. We got a big guest coming, hopefully, as, as long as things work out here. You know, I'm not yeah. counting chickens. But um, anyway, um. Yeah, that's kind of one of the reasons I've held off on the Betty and Barney Hill, like like I've said before, and like you just said, I you know the story has been exhaustively researched and reported on by countless researchers already. Um, but you know, I'd still love to discuss it with you and our listeners and everything. Sure. Uh, for those who are interested in jumping into the Hill abduction now, I w- I would highly recommend checking out that Strange Arrivals podcast. Um, well, at the time when I started writing this, I was only about halfway through it. I'm getting pretty good. It's it's about 14 episodes all devoted to that abduction case. Um, it really goes into depth into the case, although it is admittedly on, on the skeptical side. Um, as usual, there'll be links in the show notes to everything that we referenced during this episode here. I might even put that, that dare to be stupid on there. I'm, I'm really sorry, dude. I'm sorry to cut you off. This, this has to happen, though. I'll be back in just a moment. All right. I'll find the dare to be stupid clip. Put down your chainsaw. Listen to me. It's time for us to join in the fight.
Put down the chainsaw, listen to me. Better count your chickens before they hatch. You better sizzle mine before it's time. Find yourself an itch to scratch. Oh, buddy. Sorry about that. A lot better. I'm going to jump right into it because it makes it easier with the editing here. Um, anyway. But I think I've, uh, I think I have mentioned, I might even have included the same link to Dare to be, the, Dare to be Stupid video Transformers. It obviously made a huge impression on me as a child. It's still, I think, the best um, toy commercial I've ever seen in my life. It just blew my mind. I still isn't think that a, isn't that a weird uh, the Weird Al song? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was I a mix of like my two favorite things at the time in 1985 of Transformers and Weird Al Yankovic. I was I was hooked, man. I think that was well, the first soundtrack I ever bought, and was my first time like being interested in listening to, to music. Well, I, I know that uh, it's Weird Al's take on Devo, and I know that Mark Mothersbaugh actually listened to. 
listened to Dare to Be Stupid, and he was like pissed off because it sounded like even more Devo than Devo. <laughs> He's like <laughs> congratulatory about it, but he, he was like jealous in a way. So that's that's pretty cool. No, it's pretty good, man. I yeah, I was listening to it uh, earlier, but anyway, um, it's also that soundtrack has a, "You Got the Touch," which was on Boogie Nights here, but that was the first time I learned it. So that was that was funny hearing that again. Was that like a famous song at all? I don't know. I'd never heard it until Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just thinking of these old songs that are ingrained in my memory. But let's get back to uh, to Aliens here. Um, so the uh, the show that show Strange Arrivals here it it mentioned that Betty and Barney Hill was one of the first cases to put the concept of alien abductions into the public zeitgeist and kind of formulated the concept for people. Um, but then it also claimed that the Antonio Villas Boas case in Brazil was actually the first. I had heard a little about this case before, and um, I thought it would make for an interesting show topic. I was also curious whether this really was the first uh, reported abduction case in the world, but I had a hard time getting a clear answer on that, you know. Um, well, I was trying to verify this. I, I did find some interesting information about early UFO cases that I thought was worth sharing. And actually, I kind of went on a journey here. I wanted to share it with our audience because I think I think everyone will be interested here. Um, this is from Wikipedia's page on the history of UFO abductions. I know we've kind of we've kind of treaded this this ground before here, looking at the the abduction phenomenon. But uh, I think there's some new information. I and I always think this stuff's interesting. I you know I think it's it, it is a good idea to put this stuff in context and everything. Always, man. Of course. As we examine these cases. But um, so from Wikipedia, quote, such claims came to international prominence in the 1950s and 1960s. But some researchers argue abduction narratives can be traced to decades earlier. Such abduction stories have been studied by investigators who believe the, the accounts describe actual literal interaction with non-human or extraterrestrial entities. Others have investigated alien abduction claims from a more skeptical perspective, arguing they can be best understood as expressions of folklore or various psychological phenomena. The Antonio Villas-Boas case from Brazil, 1957. I'm trying so hard to pronounce it right. I'm, I'm probably butchering it. And the, um, and the Hill abduction from the United States in 1961 were the first cases of UFO abduction to earn widespread attention. Although these two cases are sometimes viewed as the earliest abduction narratives, skeptic Peter Rogerson argues that this assertion is incorrect. The Hill and Boas abductions, he com contends, were only the first canonical abduction cases, establishing a template from which later abductees and researchers would refine, but rarely deviate. Additionally, Rogerson notes purported abductions abductions were cited contemporaneously at least as early as 1954 and that quote the growth of the abduction stories is a far more tangled affair than the quote entirely quote unquote entirely unpredisposed unpredisposed uh official history would have us believe so i uh, probably butchered that sentence too much for it to make sense but yeah so um no yeah, i got gotcha. you Okay, the abduction is far more tangled affair than the entirely unpredisposed official history would have us believe. So Rogerson, he's going to come up here a little bit, uh, quite a bit. I think he must have really looked at this Boas case before, and he, if you can't tell, he kind of kind of says that it's just taken from other examples and everything. But we'll, we'll get into that more. Um, 
The phrase, quote, entirely unpredisposed, appeared in folklorist Thomas E. Bullard's study of alien abduction. He argued that alien abductions, as reported in the 1970s and the 1980s, had little precedent in folklore or fiction. Um, have you ever heard, heard this before? I don't know if we've really discussed it, but like the linking of ancient folklore, like fairies and stuff, um, being related to, to UFOs at all? Um, or even like werewolves or, you know. I, I, I think we might have even touched upon that, about how like some kind of speculation that werewolf that um aliens appeared to uh uh previous generations as things that they could um kind of wrap their head around such as like a, a werewolf or a fairy or things that have kind of existed or, right. or were thought to exist at the time instead of right. something entirely new just to uh, like so an alien for example would disguise itself as a werewolf to frighten somebody as if whatever it's natural quote unquote natural form is wouldn't be scary enough. <laughs> right right well i think um even the way i see it is that they you know just didn't have a concept of alien so they would just call them fairies you know um or something like that i mean i'm probably getting it wrong and butchering it i haven't really well no i've heard much. both i've heard i've heard both there was that um uh the, or even uh, demons like you know demons yeah. from hell or or will right, the right, right. So they were referred to. So they referred to them as those things, even though when what they were in fact witnessing was aliens uh, right. or non non terrestrial beings, I guess. Right. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't buy that uh, because people can see something new, um, and it'll you know it, it'll still appear to them. I think we discussed this with that one um, quote unquote documentary called "What the Bleep Do We Know?" that I wasn't too much of a fan of. Uh, a long time ago, but anyway, uh, I won't get too much into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I find some of these. I don't know. I, maybe this isn't the time to get into it, but yeah, some of these these write-offs of these, they just they seem to be making too many leaps for me. You know, the skeptics even. It's just like it seems almost like conspiracy theory, or they're just trying to make links that that might not be there. I don't know. Yeah, man. I, I, I guess I, I shouldn't say that without reading the, all these books on the subject, but yeah. Well, no, I don't necessarily need to read a book about fairies to know that they don't exist. Um, what? Yeah, seriously. I can say that. <laughs> fairies wear boots, man. You got to believe me. <laughs> no, I, I can say that um, almost with 100% certainty. Uh, I don't need to read a book about fairies to know that they don't exist. And I think that's a reasonable claim to make. But um, that, I think a healthy dose of skepticism is always important. You got it, man. Keep our feet on the ground and our eyes in the skies. That's what we do here. Yeah. All right. I, I won't I won't argue with you on that, I guess. But that's I mean, that's the same thing as saying uh, I don't need to read a book on aliens to know that they don't exist or ghosts or angels or no. Concepts too. No, because I I I feel like I know enough about outer space to know that there's a, a pretty decent chance. In fact, there's an incredibly decent chance, and I would say a very good chance that there are aliens, alien species out there. Whether they've come to visit us or not is another question. But you've read books on Middle Earth, and you're saying that fairies don't exist, so I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Enough silliness here. Let's uh let's get back to the topic at hand. Um, so the the Wikipedia article it goes on to list some uh 
some purported earlier abduction-like accounts, although many of them seem pretty tenuous to me. Uh, the only one that really stood out reads, quote, at least one case of attempted abduction was reported in conjunction with the mystery airships of the late 19th century. Colonel H.G. Shaw's account was published in the Stockton, California Daily Mail in 1897. Shaw claimed that he and a friend were harassed by three tall, slender humanoids whose bodies were covered with a fine, downy hair. The beings tried to accost or kidnap Shaw and his friend, who were able to fight them off, end quote. Oh, <laughs> so, Jesus. Okay. So they came to fisticuffs with these things with downy hair? These slender, I guess so, The man. slender I, man? Like, so these guys were just like, hey, come here, buddy. Come here. And then the Stockton guys are like, oh, no, man. I don't know. You don't want any of this Stockton, son. What? They're like Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz from Stockton. They're like, <laughs> knocked him out, gave him the Stockton slap. I guess so, man. Yeah, that's I. I've never heard of that account before, and that's. I think it's interesting that um, you know, how different all the all the beings were until it kind of got solidified. And everyone's just seeing like insects or or grays, you know. Um, I now I can't but, uh, stop thinking about Nick and Nate Diaz going Stockton, son, what? And slapped <laughs> the, the skinny alien. Anyway, my bad. Let's keep. But honestly, here. yeah, it was saying on Wikipedia that there's like a list of these accounts, and that was the only one that really was like a really seemed like a an actual account to me so i don't know that really seemed to fit the bill if you will but um the article then concludes with some uh, more history of the modern abduction phenomenon folklore which we have discussed before in an earlier episode but um but i thought this part was uh, interesting enough to con- to include um Quote, allegedly genuine stories of kidnap by extraterrestrials goes back to at least the mid-1950s with the Antonio Villas-Boas case, which didn't receive much attention until several years later. Widespread publicity was generated by Betty and Barney Hill abduction case of 1961, again not widely known until several years afterwards, culminating in a made-for-television film broadcast in 1975 starring James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons dramatizing the events. The Hill incident was probably the prototypical abduction case and was perhaps the first where, one, the beings, which later became widely known as the Greys, appeared, who also went on to become the most common type of extraterrestrial in abduction reports, and two, the beings were explicitly identified as extraterrestrial in origin. The stellar system centered on the star Zeta Reticuli was later suspected as their point of origin. Uh, neither the contactees nor those early abduction accounts, however, saw much attention from ufology, then still largely reluctant to consider close encounters of the third kind, where contactees allegedly interact with occupants of UFOs. R. Leo Sprinkle, a University of Wyoming psychologist, became interested in the abduction phenomenon in the late 1960s. For some years... He was probably the only academic figure devoting any time to studying or researching abduction accounts. Sprinkle became convinced of the phenomenon's actuality and was perhaps the first to suggest a link between abductions and cattle mutilation. Makes sense in Wyoming. Uh, eventually, Sprinkle came to believe that he had never. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, eventually, Sprinkle came to believe that he had been abducted by aliens in his youth. He was forced from his job in 1989. Mm. It seems Dang, like that, that happens a lot. Like people are like, you know, they they have something happen to them where they think, I don't know, they just become interested in this, and then they they claim that, oh yeah, I've been abducted since going back to childhood. You know, I mean, I'm making a vague point there, but it it seems like I hear that a lot. You know, um, let's see. So uh, then it goes on to um, 
Bud Hopkins, a painter and sculptor by profession, has been interested in UFOs for some years. In the 19- Buddy boy! In the 1970s, he became interested in abduction reports and began using began using hypnosis to extract details of dimly remembered events. Hopkins soon became a figurehead in the growing abductee subculture. And uh, I got to say, in Strange Arrivals, I, I just listened to it recently. They they go into that Hopkins, the uh, the New York case that, you know, the New York Bridge one that we discussed. That we on. did? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. They give a they give a pretty interesting perspective on there. Um, I'll have to check that out. They talked to his his wife, you know, who we kind of featured on on our episode too. I mean, we didn't we didn't have her on there, but you know, we were discussing that, and uh, I don't know. It seems like there was you know the competition at the time, which we'll get into right here. Um, there was a lot of uh, pressure by publicists to like break new ground on these cases, you know. Um, yeah, well, of course, man. Like, uh, any, uh, people want answers to things that they don't understand. And I think that's reasonable, but it's, uh, there are only certain things you can do in order to, to, to reveal that information and have that information be reliable. You kind of got to, um, accept what comes. I I think, uh, you can, you know, do a deep dive into research that already exists and do your own research. But if you start, putting pressure on people then people are going to start making stuff up and if you especially if you make it uh uh give them the financial incentive to do so uh god it's hard to take uh it's hard to take um anything seriously that's um that's uh that's extraordinary yeah and you know like our suspicions about linda cortile like yeah the more attention she gets the the crazier her claims become maybe or yeah you know you see, uh, I don't know, it's it's interesting, you know. But um, anyway, the uh, <clears throat> so the 1980s brought a major degree of mainstream attention to the subject. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, works by Bud Hopkins, Whitley Strieber, David M. Jacobs, and John E. Mack presented alien abduction as a genuine phenomenon. Also of note in the 1980s was the publication of folklorist Thomas E. Bullard's comparative analysis of nearly 300 alleged alleged uh, abductees. With Hopkins, Jacobs, and Mack, several shifts occurred in the nature of the abduction narratives. There had been earlier abduction reports, the Hills being the best known, but they were believed to be few and far between, and saw rather little attention from ufology and even less attention from mainstream professionals or academics. Jacobs and Hopkins argued that alien abduction Alien abduction was far more common than earlier suspected. They estimate that tens of thousands or more North Americans had been taken by unexplained beings. Furthermore, Jacobs and Hopkins argued that there was an elaborate scheme underway, that the aliens were attempting a program to create human-like hybrids, though the motives for the scheme were unknown. There were anecdotal reports of phantom pregnancy related to UFO encounters at least as early as the 60s. Uh, 1960s, but Bud Hopkins and especially David M. Jacobs were instrumental in popularizing the idea of widespread systematic interbreeding efforts on the part of the alien intruders. Despite the relative paucity of corroborative evidence, Jacobs presents the scenario as not only plausible, but self-evident. Hopkins and Jacobs have also been criticized for selective citation of abductee interviews, favoring those that support their hypothesis of extraterrestrial intervention. Again, that's uh, where the financial thing comes in, too, man. Like when uh, 
when you get good natured people who are uh, out to find uh, find an answer to something and they have uh, they have an idea of what they think it is, that's when the confirmation bias comes in and right. start looking for stuff to con- to confirm your your uh, opinion rather than looking for stuff to inform your opinion. Yeah, it seems to be a common psychological trait, you know. Confirmation bias is a is a biggie. Hey, man, and I want to know answers too, for the most part. I mean, I um, I don't necessarily want to know how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop, but um, I I do want to know uh, if there's life on other planets, and I would like to know if they've been here or not. But I'm I'm willing to be patient. <laughs> yeah. I Actually, know you know what? I, I take that back. You know what? There. Um, there is a definitive answer, and it's, uh, it takes three licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop. That's true. That's true. Um, can't dispute that. And, uh, yeah, I want to know if these if these greys are mutilating cattle or abducting, uh, abducting people and doing genetic experiments on them, you know? Yeah. Um, so the involvement of Jacobs and Max marked something of a sea change in the abduction studies. Their efforts were controversial. Both men saw some degree of damage to their professional reputations. Uh, but to other observers, Jacobs and Mac brought a degree of respectability to the subject. The article concludes uh, – that's end quote here. Uh, and then the article concludes by going into uh, more depth into John Mack's research and then discusses David Ick, David Ike, Ike. Uh, which – which we have also already discussed on the show, but uh, uh, in our reptilians episode here. Um, those are one of our more pop. Those are some of our more popular episodes too. You should uh, yeah. You should give those a listen if you haven't already, dear listeners. Yeah, we have like a whole episode just to lit, just uh, just devoted to David Ike there. But um, yeah, wait. So we got. I think we did. One, we did two episodes on the reptilians, and we did a, a, a David Ike specific one, didn't we? Well, no, I think I think episode one was just basically about David Ike, and then episode two okay. or other abstract reptilian ideas. But if I remember correctly, which I rarely do, so um, so I know we're we're kind of meandering around the main subject here still, but I, I found a couple of other sources that uh, give seemingly credible examples of pre Betty and Barney Hill UFO sightings that I thought were really interesting. And, I think uh, this is a good this is a good build up, man. I'm with you on this because yeah, uh, it's it helps set the tone of how things were. Uh, and this you said it's in 50, 54. Is that when the V.S. Boas happens? I think you said um, it was I, 1954. I believe so. It might. So this is post Roswell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Roswell was 47. So. Okay. Right. But yeah, I, I like to. I don't. I'd like to know what the climate was, the worldwide UFO climate was like at that time, and not just uh, the the American, you know, UFO hysteria type thing. But, exactly. I mean, all that stuff was going on, like the Washington D.C. UFOs and everything, right? I believe. Um, so it was kind of in the zeitgeist there, but there hadn't been a lot of stories about actual beings coming out and interacting and stuff. I though, I don't know. Now our our research is my research is showing. Uh, some holes there, but uh, I don't remember when the Officer Zamora case was, because that seems like it would be a pretty early one. Uh, yeah, that was that was early on. I can just look that up real quick. Uh, I want to say that was in the fifties too. That was in uh, Socorro, New Mexico. See, that was another one that stuck with me. Um, yeah, I yeah, want to look was, at that one. 
Yeah, that's another one. That was yeah, 1964. That was the Lonnie Zimmer oh, that... incident. Yeah. Oh, 64. Okay. Okay, so yeah. I guess that was a little later then. But um, yeah. Anyway. Um. But I I I really wanted to look into like more uh, even like prehistoric. I mean not prehistoric, you know, but like ancient kind of uh, like Ezekiel's wheel. If you're familiar with that, you know, the Bible passage that a lot of people claim is is describing a literal encounter with a UFO or a flying saucer, basically. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Um, I think it's like a burning, like a burning sphere of light or something like that or something like that. that yeah. yeah. I, like gyrating lights and, and whatnot. It sounds a lot like a modern day UFO, honestly. But, but well, spoiler alert, Grant, I might break your heart i don't give the whole the bible a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of credibility but um yeah well it is anyway a, i mean it is an ancient record at least you know and it's um, an ancient it's an ancient something i don't know what it's it's too controversial here but uh we won't get into that but uh the um you know either i mean i even you know i you know me i'm fascinated with like the ancient aliens Sure, forming yeah. religions and, and whatnot and, and all that good stuff. Uh, there's like tales of of shields, flying shields over battles, you know, with ancient either Romans or Greeks and uh, and all that good stuff. But um, anyway, I'm definitely digressing here. Um, so, yeah, but these cases, this is more um, recent ancient history, you know, like the 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and I, I think these are fascinating as well because a lot of times they are taken in like a religious context, you know, as, as we'll see here. Or um, it's just the way like they kind of match modern day stories, but then they kind of differ in, in some ways, too. And just the way they describe them in, in their terms, you know, with, with what they're familiar with when when you've never seen an airplane or anything. Um, so uh, so the next article is taken from the History Channel website, history.com, entitled America's First UFO Sighting. I thought the whole thing was pretty interesting, so I'll just read it here in full. Um, and it's, it's from the History Channel, so I guess you could take it with a grain of salt, but this seems pretty accurate. Um, so, quote, on March 1st, 1639, John Winthrop opened his diary in which he recorded the trials and triumphs of his fellow Puritans as they made a new life in America. As the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony put pen to paper, he began to recount a most unusual event that he had recently or that had recently caused a stir among the English immigrants. Uh, Winthrop wrote that later in the year, James Everill, quote, a sober, discreet man and two others had been rowing a boat in the Muddy River, which flowed through swampland and emptied into a tidal basin in the Charles River when they saw a great light in the night sky. Quote, when it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square, the governor reported. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. Which Whoa! Is, which they kind of gloss over. That seems, uh, I don't know what that means. Um, over the course oh. of two or... Uh-huh. I hope he didn't take any guff off of those swine. Jeez. Yeah. Um, <laughs> over the course of two to three hours... The boatman said that the mysterious light, quote, ran as swift as an arrow, end quote, darting back and forth between them and the village of Charleston or Charlestown, a distance of approximately two miles. Quote, diverse other credible persons saw the same light after about the same place, Winthrop added. The governor wrote that 
When the strange apparition finally faded away, the three Puritans in the boat were stunned to find themselves one mile upstream, as if the light had transported them there. The men had no memory of their rowing against the tide, although it's possible they could have been carried by the wind or a reverse tidal flow. Quote, the mysterious repositioning of the boat could suggest that they were unaware of part of their experience. Some researchers would interpret this as a possible alien abduction if it happened today, writes Jacques Vallée and Chris Aubeck in Wonders in the Sky, Unexplained Aerial Objects from Antiquity to Modern Times. Mm-hmm. Some have speculated that the curious glow could have been an ignis fetuus, a pale light that can appear over marshland at night due to the combustion of gas from decomposed organic matter. If Winthrop's report was correct, however, the light was not rising from the swamp, but shooting across the sky, making that explanation unlikely. Um, I don't think swamp gas turns into swine shapes either. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> that slide thing. I've, I've never heard that before in a UFO encounter. Um, they were like, yeah, yeah. Swamp gas. <laughs> maybe, maybe ball lightning or something like that, you know, but I don't know. Do you know. think they looked at it and they're like, hey, pig. Yeah, <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know why they're not making a bigger deal about this swine appearing, but um, I don't even, that's such an odd comparison to me to compare something to a swine. Um. So anyway, uh, an odd sight returned to the skies of Boston five years later, according to another entry in Winthrop's diary dated January 18th, 1644. Quote, about midnight, three men coming in a boat to Boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of the town cove, in form like a man, and went at a small distance to the town, and so to the south point, and there vanished away. End quote. A week later, Winthrop wrote, Another unexplained celestial event occurred over Boston Harbor. Quote, a light like the moon arose about the northeast point in Boston and met the former at Nautilus Island. And there they closed in one and then parted and closed and parted diverse times. And so went over the hill in the island and vanished. Sometimes they shot out flames and sometimes sparkles. This was about eight of the eight of the clock in the evening and was seen by many. His account continued. About the same time, a voice was heard upon the water between Boston and Dorchester, calling out in a most dreadful manner, Boy, boy, come away, come away. And it suddenly shifted from one place to another a great distance, about 20 times. It was heard by diverse godly persons. About 14 days after, the same voice in the same dreadful manner was heard by others on the other side of the town towards Noddles Island. End quote. Wow, man. That was a really good re- that was a really good rendition re- that you did right there, man. I could almost hear the Battle Hymn of the Republic in the background with the snare drum and everything, like and the tricorner hats and everything. That was sick. God. I was worried I was being too ridiculous. No, man. That, yeah. was, that was well played, Grant. Well played. The um, <sighs> yeah, that's like the only anyway. Uh, uh, I'll keep moving here. Um, I could that be like voices, you know, bouncing over the water or something? I don't know. Well, sound does travel, I think, quite a bit over water. I don't think it travels under water. I mean, you can shout at somebody underwater and they won't hear you. The only (laughs) thing with a lot of these, you know, is like I'm I'm sure these people would be familiar with the with the kind of phenomena that happens since they're they're probably out there quite a bit. You know, Um, one thing you got to you got to take take into consideration, too, is back then, man, people were drinking a lot of alcohol. They were drinking yeah. a ton of alcohol, and granted, like because it was safer to drink alcohol than it was right, to drink right. 
just regular water because they didn't have a lot of clean water sources back then. Granted, from my understanding, uh, the beer that they brewed was of a lower percentage uh, alcohol per volume or whatever than it is now. But I think they, if they're hitting the straight up whiskey and rum and that kind of stuff, which most people were on the daily back then, right? You see, you see and hear a lot stuff of weird of things. <laughs> but uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that to completely discount the the uh, the account but you gotta you gotta take that into consideration as well i think but with that so you think people were pranking each other while they're drunk or you think like uh i mean that i know alcohol can make you hallucinate and um i mean i've never experienced that and i've, I've no i haven't i've done alcohol. i've done yeah i've done my fair share of drinking in my life as well and i can't say that i've ever hallucinated but then again i don't think i've ever drank proper absinthe before and maybe if these people had Absolutely. I don't know. Now I'm just grasping at straws, but uh, yeah, but these are these are also Puritans, I guess. Well, anyway, oh dang, we can speculate oh, all we want okay, here. Well, but, uh, I don't know if they're teetotalers. Then that's, there that's is, a good point. There is a similar theory that we're going to get into in a in a minute here. That that's kind of I think it'll give us a chuckle here, but uh, we'll see what you think about it because it kind of matches what you're saying. But um, back to the, back to the uh, the article here unlike the 1639 UFO Winthrop had an explanation for the latest luminescence over his quote city upon a hill the governor noted that the bizarre spectacle was seen near the location where a vessel captained by John Chaddock had exploded months earlier after a sailor accidentally ignited gunpowder aboard the ship the captain was not aboard at the time but the blast killed five crew members Winthrop noted that the rescuers had recovered the bodies of all of the victims except for the man believed responsible for the calamity, a sailor who professed the ability to communicate with the dead and who was suspected of murdering his master in Virginia. The hand of the devil was thought to have been t- have taken possession of the body, and it was the haunting voice of the sailor's ghost that was said to be have accompanied the strange vision of ye old UFO that mystified Boston. So, uh, oh, ye old. Uh, I like that. <laughs> But uh, obviously, yeah, like I said, you know, they're they're putting more uh, more spiritual reasoning behind it, I guess, or explanations. Um, but, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Right. I, I, I think they're pretty fascinating accounts as they do match so closely with modern UFO stories, like I said, um, more or less, except for the swine thing. But um, people at the time didn't explain these sightings as aliens or flying saucers, but assigned other offworldly explanations to them mm. or swamp gas. So, yeah. Classic standby. Um, but does that happen a lot around Boston swamp gas? I don't know. I don't know, man. I've never been to Boston, uh, but yeah. I, I assume the Boston in days of yore was nothing like the Boston that it is today. I bet it was very, uh, wildery. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there was a lot less swamp around there right now, but, um, yeah, I've never been either. Um, so I wonder if they were already, I'll bet they were already Red Sox fans, you know? Oh yeah. Back then. Way back then they were already, you know. You know, just uh, already starting the, the the Yankees suck chant. <laughs> that's when, that's when it started. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's where the Yanks. Back and, when. Uh, well, Yanks was that from? I don't want to get too into history that I don't know, but yeah, yeah where does that? Tell you. I mean, that Red Sox thing probably does come from somewhere, right? Well, they were just called the Red Stockings. They were the baseball team was because they wore Red Sox. I think that was my okay. that's my understanding. But uh, the Yankee, the word Yankee, I think was a derogatory term that Southerners the used. Civil War. Northerners, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So they're proud to be Yankees. Um, but uh, okay, so one last example that I found that I that I really found interesting was an episode of the podcast UFO Headquarters, um, which I've linked to in the show notes as well. Um, 
where a UFO researcher and author Linda Zimmerman has a really interesting discussion of similar American UFO accounts from the early 1900s. <clears throat> I, I won't go too much into detail here. I'm going to kind of, you know, give the cliff notes, but um, I definitely recommend checking out the episode if you're interested in this kind of stuff. They, they do a really good analysis, I think. Um, so basically, she describes similar, seemingly credible UFO sightings, sometimes with many witnesses. Uh, most of them are people seeing strange lights in the sky that are are seemingly inexplicable given the technology of the time. And and she makes the point that, again, people didn't ascribe these incidents to off-worldly beings or technology, but they thought they were just seeing new technology because, you know, at the time, technology was growing by leaps and bounds. And um, she even says that, that Thomas Edison actually had to go on record publicly and, and put out a disclaimer saying that he had nothing to do with these sightings or anything. Because... <laughs> You know, they look up and they, they, they think, oh, Thomas Edison finally cracked like a flying machine, you know. Right. Uh, so so Zimmerman actually goes into a lot of detail regarding where flight technology was at the time. Uh, basically, these were occurring while the Wright brothers were in the very early stages of their flight experiments. So there was only hot air balloon and possibly blimp technology. I'm not too sure about that, but I, I think so. So I think she mentioned like people were worried that it was like they were thinking of Zeppelins and stuff. Um but supposedly there there would have been no way to illuminate them like these witnesses were seeing, um, which I didn't really get that because I, I would think that they, they might have been able to, especially a hot air balloon, since I, I think you have to use flame to use those, you know, but I, I'm sure it, it, a little bit. Yeah, more about what. yeah I, I don't but I don't think it's still even even the flame from a hot air balloon doesn't carry very far. Man. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I think the point and I think they were seeing like multicolored lights and um you know, they, they couldn't bring huge lanterns up there or anything. Um, so uh, supposedly they there would have been no way to uh, to illuminate them like these witnesses were seeing. She also discusses and pretty much dismisses the skepticism and debunking of these cases and makes a good argument that there was a lot of money to be made from these technologies at the time. So uh, she doesn't think that they can be attributed to some mysterious unknown lone inventor or anything like that. Um and it's basically like, yeah, people seeing lights, you know, zooming around or just hovering there, um, kind of familiar stories, you know, um, like multicolored lights or flashing lights sometimes. Um, and they really get into like where flight technology, they talk about it for like 10, 15 minutes or so at least. And um, just how like slow the progression was and like, you know, it took years before they, they could do a flight for like a mile or so and, you know, at a, at a decent Sure. Height, so, Yeah. Well, that's, uh, what, yeah, that's what we do here at uh, our UFO Reel. We also plug other podcasts, which is something that a lot of other podcasts don't do. But we plug podcasts that we like. Well, I just like to I like to give credit to where I'm getting the research from, you know, and, and sources I think are, are really important, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Duh. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to steer people. I mean, if people like us talking about it, they should listen to these guys, you know, because there's there's a few other interesting episodes that I've heard, too. Um uh, another interesting thing that she mentioned mentions is that a uh, a skeptic at the time wrote the story off as people hallucinating after eating too many minced meat pies. <laughs> but they were serious. Um, I've yeah, eaten a so bunch of maybe look, not. Man, I've eaten too many chicken pot pies before, and that just you know put me right on my keister. But I uh, <laughs> I cannot say that I've eaten too many minced meat pies before. Well, apparently that can make your uh, too much blood rush to your stomach and you start hallucinating, according to somebody, some skeptic. Um, Have you ever eaten too many McRibs 
and then started hallucinating before? I've never started hallucinating. I, I, I honestly, I don't think there is such a thing as too many McRibs. So, what's your maximum amount of McRibs you've ever eaten in one sitting? Well, honestly, like two. That, those that are, be... Look, man, those are those are rookie numbers. You got to get those McRib numbers way up, Grant. <laughs> I would, but I'm diabetic too, type one diabetic. So that's those things are sweet, man. And oh, anyway, <laughs> I, I won't I won't hallucinate, but there might be other other problems I could run into. <laughs> Um, leave it at that. Um, so I, I found it to be a, uh, a really compelling listen. And again, I would recommend checking it out if you're interested. She, she goes into a lot of detail on all the stuff I just summarized there. And that was um, UFO headquarters. That's yeah. UFO the... headquarters. It's, it's, it's like a really radio show format. Um, uh, seems to be based around the Hudson Valley, but they talk. Yeah. I was listening to this other one about all these sightings in the Hudson Valley. It just seemed crazy, man. It's, it's one of those things where you listen to it. You're like, okay, there's UFOs everywhere and everyone's seen them, you know, like, I don't know why these, these stories weren't as, um, you know, and there's evidence everywhere. Like people are picking them up on radars and police officers are seeing them, but I mean, here's, here's another thing, man. Like we, we, I'm not going to speak for you, but myself coming from San Diego, born and raised, just, just like you, um, I, we take it for granted that I, I, I don't really look up at the night sky that often because there's so much uh, light pollution around here. There's just like city lights everywhere. So um, whenever I do go to a more rural area, I do look up at the sky a lot more. And it's there's a lot of times you see things that are just like, whoa, that was, you know, that was a, a shooting star or whoa, yeah. that was pretty trippy. I wonder what that was. Just, just right. stuff like that. So um yeah, yeah. Um, and and imagine uh, if like to take it back to what we were speaking about earlier. Um, if you're growing up in in days of yore and there was pretty much no light pollution whatsoever, and you were looking at the sky for uh, for navigation and for like um, you know right. cl- clues as to when the seasons are going to turn and all that kind of stuff. That, um, people were a lot more connected with the sky right. back then. Yeah. Um, or even like, you know, I think that is interesting writing it off. Maybe people are more likely to believe in ghosts and spiritual stuff like that at the time or angels, you know, and just writing it off as something like that or a vision from God or something like that, you know? Um, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but you know, um, you know, writing it off as a miracle or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and, uh, so, so finally this, you know, this brings us to the subject at hand, uh, the abduction story of Antonio Villas Boas. And, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't able to find as much information as I had hoped about this account. Uh, even though it seems to be a rather famous one, you know, like it's constantly quoted as one of the first, um, I have to say like, any article that mentions this one definitely mentions Betty and Barney Hill, you know, like I think pretty much every, every article did. Um, I have to mention that this is probably the, the spiciest story that we have discussed so far. I don't know if it's just because it's, you know, from Latin America or what. Um, but if you got young ones listening, you may want to want to take note here. Um, although I've, I've tried to keep it pretty G rated here. Um, wow. All right. I'm already <laughs> starting to get a little hot under the collar here, Grant. Uh, well, you, you better choose your words carefully, man. I'm I know where you live. Okay. Um 
Well, I just cut and paste out of Wikipedia, basically. But um, I've, I found a few descriptions of this story. You know, all of them are, are pretty similar besides some small details. Um, so as usual, I'll, I'll start with the account as described on Wikipedia. And this is kind of like a black and white telling of it. Um, I think, yeah, I think after we go over this and, and kind of discuss it a little bit, we can uh, take a little break here. We'll, we'll come back on another episode for the rest of it. And, uh, and a lot of analysis and, and skepticism and all that good stuff. But um, so sure. quote, Works for at, me, the man. Time, at the time of his alleged abduction, Antonio Villas Boas was a 23 year old Brazilian farmer who was working at night to avoid the hot temperatures of the day. On October 16th, 1957, he was plowing fields near Sao, uh, Sao Francisco de Sales when he saw that what he described as a, quote, red star in the night sky. According to his story, this star approached the, his position, growing in size until it became recognizable as a roughly circular or egg-shaped aerial craft with a red light at, at its front and a rotating cupola, cupola, cupola on top. You I don't know what cupola? that is. I don't know what that is. It's basically from what I understand looking at it, it was uh you know it's like a like a, on a church tower a cupola is be like how do you a dome. spell that how do you spell that uh cup ola like oh, like cola and cup yeah oh you know it's like when you go into a church and look oh, up at the okay the oh, and thought, looking okay. up at the cupola I got gotcha. you okay. so basically it had a dome on top you know an egg shaped craft with a dome on the top not have we ever heard that before um. And a lot of flashing lights. So the, the craft began descending to land in the field, extending three, quote unquote, legs as it did so. At that point, Boas decided to run from the scene, which is probably a good judgment. Yeah, book it, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, this this already just seems like a strange story. So according to Boas, he first attempted to leave the scene on his tractor. I could just <laughs> I'll run that <laughs> He's like, like, he's like, he's like, how fast this tractor was. Are we talking like high speed tractor back then? I I don't, I have no idea. Well, maybe it's a little faster than you could run through a field, you know, but trucking it at like 10 miles an hour. (laughs) 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 So, uh, so he first attempted to leave the scene. I mean, he probably didn't want to leave his tractor there, you know, but, um, he first oh. attempted to leave the scene on his tractor, but when its lights and engine died after traveling only a short distance, he decided to continue on foot. However, he was seized by uh, a one-and-a-half-meter or five-foot-tall humanoid who was wearing gray coveralls and a helmet. Its eyes were small and blue, and instead of speech, it made noises like barks or yelps. Three similar Whoa. beings joined the first in subduing Boas, and they dragged him inside their craft. And I couldn't find it again. I swore when I was first reading through there, they, there was something about like a rope ladder that was coming out of the craft, which which seems funny in hindsight now. That's pretty primitive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe it was like some plastic or metal metallic thing, or metal rope or something. But um, yeah. Well, as far as abduction stories. Uh, uh, OK, so you don't want to get into the analysis right now. You want to save it for. Um, no, I mean, I do, I do want to discuss it. I mean, we're going to get into some more details here, but what what are you going to say? Well, I just, uh, a couple things that stick out to me are the primitive, there's some primitive aspects to this. I think the coveralls, the helmet, um, and, uh, the, the, the rope ladder, (laughs) if that's what, if you're remembering correctly. And also, Mm -hmm. um, damn it. There was something else that you just mentioned that, uh, but, uh, anyway, please continue. 
Not, running in the tractor. Well, it's the cupola, the, the cupola, or whatever. Or the barks yeah, but, and yelps. Yeah, the, well, the barks and yelps can be explainable if they're, you know, trying to communicate, but they don't have telepathic abilities. But uh, I don't know, man. Uh, uh, with a cupola, it doesn't seem like very aerodynamic. It doesn't seem right. uh, so. But anyway, uh, anywho. I mean, it sounds to me like a yeah, like an egg or circular craft cigar maybe with a with a dome on the top. It's a pretty classic UFO, I think. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe I'm because when I just googled cupola or cupola, uh, it had like a point. It was like a triangular one. It wasn't like a St. Paul's Cathedral type rounded one. It was more like a pointed one. So I don't know if there was a point on it. That doesn't. I don't know. Uh, it, perhaps the description sure. is, is and he's maybe just describing it the best he can. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Um, oh, that's another thing. That's what I was going to say. They, <laughs> the fact that they just straight up subdued him, like they gang tackled him, like bum rushed him and dragged him in. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Like, <laughs> no beam of light. That just right. Like, right. 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 They just. They just. Uh, they. Uh, I wonder if they used Brazilian jiu-jitsu on him. If they. Uh, you know, one of them snaps, uh, snatched him in a rear naked choke and put him out. But. When did that br- Brazilian jiu-jitsu start, do you know? Well, jiu-jitsu started in Japan, and I don't know yeah. when it was brought to Brazil. So I don't so that's know. That's like a, a specific I, school, right, basically? Or? Well, the whole I, I, won't, I, I won't get into it, but the whole Gracie clan revolutionized the Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh I'm just wondering if OS would be familiar with Brazilian jiu-jitsu or not. But. I don't know, man. In the 50s? I know Helio Gracie was alive back then. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know how, how much Brazilian jiu-jitsu had taken off. But apparently it didn't work uh, against multiple alien attackers. So right. uh, all, yeah. all, you Gracie, all you Gracie proponents out there, you've got to include that disclaimer. Uh, may, not work, may work against larger attackers, but will not work against uh, multiple alien attackers. And like I said, this is kind of like a black and white, um, or I don't know, kind of like a bare bones just description of the story. Um, I got to say, like, the one I'll read next week to kind of refamiliarize with it has, like, some more interesting details, I think. And I think a lot of it kind of disagrees, too. I was, I was that's what was weird about this. It's such a famous one. You know, Betty and Barney Hill, maybe just because of the, well, I don't know. I would, I would think this all came from one account as well. But um, it seems like there's a lot of little differences in the way this story is told, you know, which is strange. Did you get into? I don't want to make you jump ahead here, but did um, are we going to talk about the uh, the way in which he revealed his story? Like, did he go to the papers or did he get? Um, oh like, yeah. Like, uh, is that? I, I won't. I don't want you to jump ahead, man. But um, is that? No. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get touch on that actually. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the end of this Wikipedia here. Um, although even that is well anyway. Um, so according to Boas. He first attempted to leave the scene on his tractor, as I've already said. Okay, next paragraph. Uh, once inside the craft, so yeah, you got these guys in coveralls jumping out with helmets, barking at each other, small blue eyes, and um, sounds like Nazis to me so far. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're. Uh, I mean, that's a big thing too, right? Like Nazis escaping to Argentina in World War II, and then continuing these experiments maybe maybe it was nazis but we'll definitely get into that more in the next next uh next week here but um so once inside the crap yeah he gets taken in he's subdued and taken in put in a chokehold not really a chokehold 
Um, but okay, so one's inside the craft. Boas said that he was stripped of his clothes and covered from head to toe with a strange gel. He was then led into a large semicircular room through a doorway that had strange red symbols written over it. Boas claimed that he was able to memorize these symbols and later reproduced them for investigators. And I actually I found what I think is is like a drawing of these symbols. So I'll, I'll share that link. Red. Um, um, in this room, the beings took samples of Boas' blood from his chin. After this, he was then taken into a third room and left alone for around half an hour. Wait During a minute. Times- mm-hmm. Sorry. From his chin? Is that what you said? Yeah. These aliens seemed obsessed with chins, which which we'll see soon, too. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, for around half an hour. So um, during this time, some kind of gas was pumped into the room, which made Boas become violently ill. Which I think is interesting. Did he just, like, puke all over the UFO floor or what? <laughs> or Who's going to clean that up, man? I mean, violently ill means that you're throwing up, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I... Or just start swinging at people while you don't feel that great. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling. You just become belligerent. Uh, yeah, <laughs> when I think violently ill, I think vomit. Um, okay. Yeah. So hopefully they had some kind of um, sterilizing agent on board. Right. And those symbols, yeah, basically just, just to describe them, it, it, from what I remember, it looked like kind of like arrows, like maybe like curvy arrows with some some dots and stuff. I mean, it just, yeah, doesn't mean doesn't mean a lot to me here. Um, so now it's sexy time. So shortly after this, the boss claimed that he was joined in the room by another humanoid. This one, however, was female, very attractive and naked. She was the same height as the other beings he had encountered, with a small pointed chin and large blue cat-like eyes. The hair on her head was long and white, somewhat like platinum blonde, but her underarm and pubic hair was were bright red. Boa said he was strongly attracted to the woman, and the two had sexual intercourse. During this act, Boas noted that the female did not kiss him, but instead nipped him on the chin. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when it was all over, the female smiled at Boas, rubbed her belly, and gestured upwards. Boas took this to mean that she was going to raise their child in space. Uh, The female seemed relieved that their quote-unquote task was over, and Boas himself said that he felt angered by the situation because he felt as though he had been little more than a quote-unquote good stallion for the humanoids. Did did they at least light up an alien cigarette at that point afterwards? I I don't think so. He had to do like a walk of shame around the UFO, basically. So Boas said that... He was then given back his clothing and taken on a tour of the ship by the humanoids. During this tour, he said that he attempted to take a clock-like device as proof of his encounter, but was caught by the humanoids and prevented from doing so. He was then escorted off the ship and watched as it took off, glowing brightly. When Boas returned home, he discovered that four hours had passed. Um, Antonio Villas Boas later became a lawyer, married, and had four children. He stuck to the story of his alleged abduction, alleged uh, abduction for his entire life. Though some sources say he died in 1992, he died on January 17th, 1991. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but uh, well, thanks for clearing that up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, look, I. You know, I'm sure you don't heard buy it. All, the, too, but, yeah. Look, all these all these yahoos that are saying that he that he kicked in 92. 
not they're they're they don't know what they're talking about okay right um so yeah pretty interesting like i said it it's kind of weird i mean i guess we won't really know until next week here when we go into another story that has a little bit more detail i think but um well let me let me finish up this article here and then we can kind of discuss it a little bit but uh you know, following this alleged event, oh, what I thought was interesting, too, is like this is back in the day, you know, so I guess he, he studied to become a lawyer through like a con uh, correspondence course, which is interesting, you know. Oh, wow. I guess that's like doing it online or something now, huh? Um, but but that seems like, like slower than dial up, man. <laughs> right, right. And this guy, I, I think the point might be made here, but he, you know, it's easy to write him off as just like some farmer, like hillbilly down in in brazil or something but they were actually like pretty well off you know a pretty big one like him having a tractor that shows that he had like some status you know he wasn't just like some simpleton or something um so following this alleged event event uh boas claimed to have suffered from nausea and weakness as well as headaches and lesions on the skin which appeared without any kind of light appeared without any kind of light bruising uh, eventually he contacted journalist jose martin martins who had placed an ad in a newspaper looking for people who had had experiences with UFOs. Upon hearing Boas's story, Martins contacted Dr. Olavo Fontes of the National School of Medicine of Brazil. Uh, Fontes was also in contact with the American UFO research group APRO, APRO. Uh, Fontes examined the farmer and concluded that he had been exposed to a large dose of radiation from some source and was now suffering from mild radiation sickness. Uh, writer Terry Melanson states, quote, among Boas's symptoms were pains throughout the body, nausea, headaches, loss of appetite, ceaselessly burning sensations in the eyes, cutaneous lesions on the slightest of light bruising. Oh, I'm sorry. Cutaneous uh lesions at the at the slightest of light bruising okay i'm not a doctor uh which went on appearing for months looking like small reddish nodules harder than the skin around them and protuberant painful when touched each with a small central orifice yielding a yellowish thin waterish discharge the skin surrounding the wounds presented a hyperchromatic violet tinged area end quote so yeah sounds pretty gross wow He's got lesions, man. Um, so according to research Peter, researcher Peter Rogerson, who we, we had mentioned before, the story first came to light in February 1958, and the earliest definite print reference to Boas's story was from the April-June 1962 issue of the Brazilian UFO periodical SBESDV Bulletin. Rogerson notes that the story had definitely circulated between 1958 and 1962 and was probably recorded in print but that details are uncertain. Uh, Boas was able to recall every detail of his reported experience without the need for hypnotic regression. Further, Boas's experience occurred in 1957, which was still several years before the famous Hill abduction, which made the concept of alien abduction famous and opened the door to many other reports of similar experiences. Uh, researcher Peter Rogerson, however, doubts the veracity of Boas's story. He notes that several months before Boas first related his claims, a similar story was printed in the November 1957 issue of the periodical O Cruzeiro, Cruzeiro, 
and suggests that Boas's borrowed details of this earlier account, along with elements of the contactee stories of George Adamski. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't read that correctly, but yeah, they, you know, so he suggests that that he took these details. He was cribbing uh, from a periodical and Adamski. Yeah, exactly. Rogerson also argues one reason why the Boas story gained credibility was the prejudiced assumption that any farm, any farmer in the Brazilian interior had to be an illiterate peasant who, quote, couldn't make this up. As Eddie Bullard pointed out to me, the fact that the the Villas Boas family possessed a tractor put them well above the peasant class. We now know that ABB was a determinedly upwardly mobile young man studying a correspondence course and eventually becoming a lawyer at which news the ufologists who had considered him too much the rural simpleton to have made the story up now argued that he was too respectable and bourgeois to have done so. Huh. And that's the end of the Wikipedia entry there. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things. These old stories are kind of tough, too. You know, a lot of people have looked at them and kind of written them off. Um, yeah. Um, uh, the. You know, I mentioned the the primitive aspects of it that were kind of like, I don't know, they were kind of, they kind of raised some flags with me. But the um, bringing him up on the um, on the ship, I mean the the alien babe <laughs> that came, yeah. the sul- the sultry alien and everything. Um, if if their whole point in abducting him was to have him mate with one of with one of their own they would have to have some kind of knowledge of human physiology at that point so they would know that they wouldn't even need to have him uh actually have intercourse with uh sultry alien in order to do that so they could have just removed removed the semen but and, you know, as I'm talking about this, maybe the, the gas that made him violently ill was some kind of hallucinogen. He didn't actually right. have sex with uh, with uh, with an alien lady. And maybe it was this whole – maybe he was, I don't know, tripping man. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll definitely get into some theories like that um, next week for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. It's hard to know what to make of this, really, you know, um, especially with that telling. Like I said, well, you know, I just want to kind of familiarize and, and at least get to the punchline here on this this episode, get to the subject here. But um, next week, we'll take a, a little closer look at the story. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, um, it's as obvious from this one, but it it does kind of sound pretty dreamlike the way things things go in it, you know, Um I mean, I don't know how how someone could mistake a dream for for reality. Really, I don't I don't really lucid dream or anything like that. Um, it always seems pretty clear cut to me. But just the way the way it flows through too, where it like builds up to this intense thing and then it turns sexual and then and then he's just kind of casually led around the spaceship, you know? Uh, yeah, that also doesn't make like uh, the hey, check this out, check this out, check this out. Don't take that timepiece. Nah, nah, nah. Right. That I don't know. It does seem a bit. I don't know. It seems a bit suspect, but uh, I guess we'll go more in depth into it next week. Yeah, this this account is strange because it I mean, just the account that I read, because it 
you know, it kind of conveys the details, but no like nuances of the story or anything. So the next one will be a little more nuanced here. So kind of wet your whistle with that. Um, well, my whistle is wet, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess that's that's it here, man. You got you got any other thoughts on the story here before we cut out or? No, I don't I think don't so. Uh, I want to. I'm, I'm I'm eager to to dive in. Uh, um, we, we can do a, a whole commentary episode on it. Sounds oh, yeah. like fun, man. Sounds no, like it's a um. There's a lot of analysis, yeah, that I want to get to here, but uh, I don't want to tip my hand here either. So we'll Ooh. we'll get into it next time. Ooh. All right, sounds like a good stopping point then. All right, well uh, we'll take care, Tom. Take care to all our uh, our realists out there. Yeah, yeah. We uh, <laughs> we uh, we love you guys, and uh, hope you're all staying safe. COVID's ramping up again, and uh, just uh, we're gonna get through this, USA, and uh, all you people in the world who have already gotten COVID figured out. We are quite envious of you. At least I can say that. <laughs> myself anyway but just be safe guys all right anyway yeah take care everyone love guys i mean we can keep talking but